it's, it's uh, another Sunday for us here at North River. I do want to give a shout out to my sister-in-law, Siba Balloway, did the big cut, cut off her dreads, you know, looking good. But um, we're, you can go and flip over your Bibles to Matthew 16 and Luke 9. We're going to be bouncing back and forth between those. But I got my amazing wife and little son here with us. And Toya is going to give an update about our family and the campus ministry. Good morning, family. Wow, it's so crazy to be here right now. Like, like many of you, I haven't been in this building in almost over six months at this point. And so it's great to be here, but it's also really awkward. So um, I'm glad to be here, though, either way. And obviously, we've got Camden, so it's going to be an interesting time. But I just wanted to give a quick update on how it's been going with the campus ministry. School has started um, about two or three weeks for some students, but three weeks for most of them. And a lot of them are back on campus. A lot of them are living in dorms, but taking virtual classes. I think I know of one person who has an in-person class. but a lot of it is virtual and campus looks very different. Everyone is wearing masks, everyone is uh, participating in things outside, and I really want to give a shout out to the campus students. You guys have done a phenomenal job adjusting to this new normal of a COVID semester. You guys have adhered to all of our guidelines that we've set for you. We are really fighting to be wise at our events where we are outdoors, we are social distancing, we are mask on, we are in small groups. We've had situations where people come up and we're like, hey, can you put your mask on? So we've really tried to fight to be wise, but also faithful. Um, as we meet new people on campus and try to get into Bible studies and and share the word of God um, because that's always necessary. And obviously as a family, uh, this little man is growing and very active. So like many of you at home, we are trying to get creative and uh, flexible with how we entertain a little one. And uh, we are potty training. So every second up here counts, Uh, but he can pee and poop in the potty in our house. That is a victory. We praise the Lord. Um, But He's a little guy, and uh, he'll be two next month, which is really, really crazy. But we are grateful to be able to raise him in a family, whether in face-to-face or virtual. We know that he's so loved, and we, all, we love you and are so excited to be here to worship together. So we will try to do a switch. Here we go. Yes. Thanks, sweetie. You want to say hi? Wave, Cam? No? Yeah, all right. Good wave, buddy. Thanks, guys. The, um, my, hey, Cam's almost two. He is an incredibly gr- fast growing boy. Love him to death. And so what we're going to do today, we are starting out in our new series titled Red Radical Every Day. We'll dive into why we're doing that in a second. We're actually going to go ahead and jump into scripture in Luke chapter 9. And so in Luke 9, we're going to start in verse 18. And the same account is in Luke 9 and Matthew 16. We're going to be going back and forth between the two. We'll start in Luke 9 and verse 18. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and so others that one of the prophets of of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Who do you say I am? One of the most important questions we could ever ask ourselves is who is Jesus to us? And Peter says something incredible. He says, you're God's Messiah, God's Christos, the anointed one, like we talked about a couple years ago, the anointed king or the anointed high priest that God has sent Jesus to establish his kingdom. 
and to be the king and the great high priest of this amazing kingdom. And in fact, Jesus affirms him in Matthew 16 after Peter says this. In Matthew 16, verse 17, Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You see, Jesus goes, you know, this is so amazing, Peter, what you just said, that I'm the God's Messiah sent here from God to establish this kingdom, that you didn't figure this out on your own. No, God revealed it to you. And can you imagine the disciples in this moment, like, it, it is him, the guy we've been waiting for our whole lives, our whole history has been waiting. He's finally here. Je Jesus, how do you think he's going to do it? How is he going to establish the kingdom? In what way is he going to let the world know how great this kingdom is? And Jesus goes on to tell them. Continuing in Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that... He must be killed on the third day, be raised to life. Can you imagine the disciples in this moment? Jesus finally came from God and he's about to establish his kingdom. And it's going to be a kingdom of power that the whole world will know. And then as Jesus lays out his master vision of how to build his kingdom, he's going to suffer and die the disciples are probably just like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? And they must have been so confused. Like, this doesn't, that's not how you establish the kingdom. How are you going to take on Rome with suffering, Jesus? And they were so confused, in fact, that Peter pulls Jesus aside. As we continue in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. It's so funny here. Peter, you know, he comes to Jesus. I, I know I just said you're God's Messiah. I know I just said you're straight from God and you're like this new king of the kingdom and, and I'm going to pledge my whole life to you. I know I just said all that, but I think you got, you missed this one, Jesus. Like you don't quite get it. That's not how things work down here on earth. You got to have, see what Peter wanted was a military king. That was going to lead by violence. He wanted a, a warrior violent king to take on the mighty Rome. So he wanted this kind, of, this kind of military king. And so when Jesus said he was going to die, Peter's like, hang on a second now, Jesus. Woo! Jesus got some words for Peter. We keep going to verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This was a, you better get in your place, son, type of conversation. Where he's going, look, you're challenging me, thinking I don't know what I'm doing because I'm not of this world. Let me tell you something, Peter. You're focused on merely human worldly power. I'm here to establish a heavenly power, a, a power from God, the concerns of God. And it's so different than anything. So while you want me to lord it over people and while you want me to rule with a selfish, ambitious violence, in fact, that's not power in the kingdom at all. He says power in the kingdom is self-sacrifice. 
So Jesus says he's going to suffer. See, power in the kingdom is a humble spiritual ambition and love. So he says he's going to die. And he rerouted, he transformed Peter's view of power in that moment. And this is such a big deal for me because I can be one of those men that is so naturally attracted to worldly power. I'm so naturally attracted to the big domineering personality, a big ego where everyone just kind of gets swept along, kind of feel like they have to flow to follow them. I'm very attracted to the, the selfish ambition man that works hard and does it for himself and kind of makes his own independently by himself, not caring. I'm kind of attracted to that, if I'm honest. And over the last seven years, God's given me the gift of leading at Georgia Tech. And I looked for these worldly powerful type of men and God didn't give me those. And at first I was confused and I'm like, where are these kind of guys that look strong in the world? And, but what God did give me was kingdom powerful men. And, and he, he raised up men of self-sacrifice. He raised up men of, a, of humility. He raised up men of, of, of selfless love. And guys like Tyler Dakota and Henry Hewitt and Abram Champion and Grant Hicks, they were the leaders that God raised up that were powerful in the kingdom of God. And even though I was confused, Georgia Tech became one of the fastest growing campus ministries in our movement. But it wasn't because of a worldly power. It was because of a kingdom power. And so Jesus says this to Peter, but he says it's not only just for me as king, but it's going to be for anyone that wants to be part of my kingdom. So he continues. We're going to go to Luke 9 now. In Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? And in a world of comfort, in a world that prioritizes your comfort more than anything else, Jesus saying, coming with a message that if you want to be in my kingdom, it's not optional. You must deny yourself and take up your cross. That's not popular nowadays. <laughs> well, that, that's not going to preach well. But we can't water down the words of Jesus. You know, in fact, this week I was meeting with somebody on campus and, um, you know, mask on, all that stuff. And, uh, and he told me he got with his youth pastor just a week ago. And his youth pastor told him, look, man, Christianity is never supposed to be hard. He straight up said that. I was like, and then, and then he goes, yeah, you know, if it, it seems like you're starting to feel like it's kind of hard. Christianity is always supposed to be easy, so don't worry about that anymore. I, I was like, what Bible? I mean, how do you water down? You must deny yourselves. In fact, if you look through the New Testament, self-sacrifice and dying to self is across the whole New Testament. I did a study of it this week. These are 80 of the scriptures I was digging into. We don't have time to dig into them, but I would encourage you this week to do a, a study for yourself on self-sacrifice and dying to self in the New Testament. Just because it's not popular today doesn't mean Jesus didn't preach it. Because Jesus wasn't looking for a message of popularity. Jesus was looking for a message of truth. And he says you must, then we have to take it as serious as Jesus does. But there is one word, looking back in Luke 9, that is even more radical to me than must. That word is daily. Daily. 
It's not just, hey, deny yourself and take up your cross when you feel like it or when you have a great day, but do it every single day. That's radical. You see, the mark of a mature disciple is consistency. And what, that's what our whole theme is about in red. We're looking at the red letters, the, the, the radical teachings of Jesus Christ. And we're not just going to be those guys that are just radical on Sunday mornings. We're not just going to be those guys that water down the teachings of Jesus to what we want and what we don't want and when we feel like it and when we don't. We're radical every day. And believe it or not, basically all of Jesus' teachings are radical. <laughs> but we're going to be looking into Jesus' teachings and saying, hey, if we want to be a part of this kingdom that we just spent all of August talking about, then how do we apply Jesus' teachings to live out his kingdom in today's day and age? Because you see, we've decided that this is not just a hobby for us. It's a lifestyle. If it's not daily, it, it's not Christianity. You see, to Christianity, it's a full-time commitment that we've made over everything else. And it's a true lifestyle that's changed everything. But what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to look back in Luke 9, because I know a lot of us know this passage, and I want to dig into it and unpack it a little more. So in Luke 9, there's one other phrase I want to call out. In Luke 9, 23, and it's take up, Jesus calls them to take up their cross. So the question is, what image would have came to their mind when they heard, take up your cross? You know, today we see a cross on, on somebody's neck, and we think, oh, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. But when Jesus was talking to his first century audience, he hadn't died on the cross yet. So there's no way they could have thought that the cross meant dying to sin or meant Jesus' forgiveness of sins. In fact, we actually know from different historians, one of them, his name is Josephus. And Josephus was the, the, the Roman Jewish historian. And he wrote about, you know, many type of crucifixions and mass crucifixions. One of them was in the, the city of Sepphoris. So this was in the beginning of Jesus' life. At that time, Sepphoris was the capital of Galilee, the main area that Jesus preached. And then there had been this uprising, this revolution of Jewish men, and they were trying to overthrow the Romans. And then they almost succeeded, but then, you know, the Romans called in reinforcements from the Roman legion. They quelched, legion, they quelched the, the rebellion. And then Josephus writes that they reserved, they didn't kill 2,000 of the Jewish revolutionaries, the main leaders. And they didn't kill them in the moment to save their lives. They killed them in the moment to use them as an example. In fact, what they did is kind of horrendous. They lined the streets in the whole area with crucifixions. And they crucified all 2,000 of these revolutionary Jews up and down the streets. So what image would have came to the mind of the guys that Jesus is talking to. It would have been the image of walking streets and seeing revolutionaries crucified. It was on the streets that they walked. And what was Rome trying to do? Rome was using these crucifixions as a billboard to say, this is what happens when you're trying to revolt or start a revolution against us and our power. And so what is Jesus trying to say to the first century audience? When he says, take up your cross, and, you know, you, you think about it, the other question is, well, what type of people get crucified and, and take up their cross to go get crucified? What types of people take up their cross and get crucified? You know, in, um, 
In Mark 15, we see an example of this. In Mark 15, verse 7, with uh, Barabbas. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. So we see here that it's the insurrectionists, the rebels, the revolutionaries that had murdered people. That, those are the type of people, because to Rome, the worst possible offense wasn't even murder or anything else. The worst possible thing you could do, the most heinous crime in Rome was to revolt against Rome and to start a revolution versus Rome. And you might go, well, what about the thief on the cross? I'd actually encourage you to study out that Greek word. It's pretty wide range of definitions. In fact, most places that used to be translated thief on the cross are now translated rebel on the cross. And so I'll look into that. But man, revolutionaries were the type of people that were crucified. So when Jesus says, I want you to take up your cross, And Jesus is always talking about trying to make you become somebody, not just do something. Who is Jesus trying to make them become? Jesus is saying, man, join my revolution, the Jesus revolution. That he's saying, look, from now on, don't, you're not following King Caesar. You're following King Jesus. You're not living like the Romans do or the Jews do. You're living like people and the citizens of the kingdom of God. We're starting a revolution. It's different than anything around us. And man, he's saying this revolution is going to change the world. Join me. Join me as I show this world this revolutionary love. That's what he's calling them to do. Too often, I think, we get into a Christianity that's only on the defense. That's only on, man, I can deny myself and stop sinning. And as long as I don't do anything too bad, then, then I'm a good Christian. But yes, there is a part of not going to the dark side of Christianity. But there's also the part of taking a stand and joining the revolution of Jesus to spread a sacrificial love to this world. Man, gee, man, it's not just taking away your sin, but it's taking a stand and be willing to put your life on the line for the greatest cause of all time, for Jesus' death. So how revolutionary is your life? Is the most revolutionary thing you do going to church on a Sunday? You know, Christianity, Jesus didn't die on the cross just so that we could read a couple more scriptures in Starbucks, just so we couldn't, just so we could have a couple more devotionals with our family. Those are great things, but it's so much more, so much more. So I want to look at a couple, just a couple pieces of application, because I think for a lot of us, this isn't the first time you've read this verse. It's not. You've read this since, some of you have read it since before I was alive. But we know Christianity isn't just about what you know, but it's about if you're following it with a truly committed heart. So let's talk about it. Are you known for your sacrificial love? And I would encourage you to ask your roommate or your spouse, right? Or do people, do people, would they characterize you by your sacrificial love? You know, and I was going to ask a lot of different questions, but I landed only on one. So I think it really fits into our middle class America in terms of sacrificial love. Are we willing to sacrifice our money but not our time and energy to love and serve the poor and needy. And I think we got to be real about this, that it's so, it can be so easy just to put money in the benevolence tray or to give money to, you know, a special need. And okay, time out. We need to do that, right? Financial institutions that really take care of the poor and needy need money for them to operate. That's an incredible thing to do. And the generosity of North River Church financially has been amazing, even during this time. I never want to downplay that. 
But what I am asking is if you, find, if you have landed in a comfortability where we can be just comfortable giving our money, but we're not willing to sacrifice our time and our energy to get dirty with somebody, to get into the emotional struggle with somebody, to get out of our comfort zones and really give. Because for some of us, our time is even more valuable than our money. So are you willing to sacrifice what's most valuable to you? And I wanted to give some, um, some practicals instead of going through more questions. Just some ideas that I thought of of ways as disciples of Jesus that are living out, denying ourselves and taking up our cross. How can we sacrificially love during this time? How about, you, you, you know, in its ideas of intentional sacrificial love. Here's one. To tutor or babysit weekly for a young family that is exhausted from homeschool. Right, you know, during this time, if you got little kids like we do and you're homeschooling and working, three hours away from your kids seems like heaven, right? But if you don't just do it every once in a while, but if you decide, I'm going to sacrifice for the next month, hey, can I come over every week for free and watch your kid for four hours? Someone would just, oh my gosh, right? Like that would just be the most amazing thing in the world. How about you drop off a meal weekly to a single brother who is isolated and probably not eating well. I remember being a single brother. And I remember eating ramen and eggs just about every night, okay? So if you drop off a meal to them, it's probably the best meal they've eaten all month. <laughs> but man, deciding not just to do it every once in a while, but say, hey, no, I'm going to pick someone that I know could use this. And I'm, I'm not going to ask them. I'm just going to drop it off every week just to sacrifice my time, my effort, my skills to really serve them. How about next time you mow your neighbor's grass or wash your car, to wash their car or to mow their grass. Also, I said that completely wrong, but I think you know what I'm saying. But, you know, how, how about you do that, right? Where it's like, man, when I'm really taking care of mine, not every neighbor would want you to mow their grass, but you, for ones that are okay with it, then you go mow their grass too. Or about next time selling your old car or furniture, give it to someone in need in the community or to one of the college students or singles in the church. Instead of making a couple hundred more dollars, Instead of make, even for a car, maybe instead of making a couple thousand more dollars, what if you just gave it away? That's unheard of nowadays. What if you just gave it away and we actually lived out what we see in the book of Acts? That they took care of one another's needs so no one had need. Yeah. It's an amazing thing. For me, all these things are intentional. They're intentional. I actually do a pretty good job if I'm on the side of the road and I see someone to help them. Or, man, if I see someone in my neighborhood moving to go help them. What I don't do a good job at is intentionally, creatively thinking through how to sacrificially love other people. Because it actually takes my mind and emotional energy. How can you use your mind and emotional energy to really sacrifice for people? The other side of this whole thing, though, is denial of self, right? So how are you doing at denying self? How are you doing? Yet again, ask your spouse or your roommate. They probably have more insight than you do. And during this day and age of, of, of high, intense priority of feelings, I think the biggest thing we need to learn to deny ourselves in are our feelings. And I'll just do another time out, okay? Some of us need to learn to not stuff our feelings and actually to process them. Because going through and processing our feelings with God is one of the most powerful things we can do with God. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you make feelings king instead of Jesus being king. And in the age of social media and everything like that, you have a microphone straight to your emotions. As if the whole world should know you, what you feel on a day-to-day -day basis. 
And then there's always someone else that feels the exact same way. And y'all just go back and forth going, yeah, we, we are feeling exactly what we should be feeling right now. And it's the echo chamber where it gets worse and worse and worse. As if our feelings should dictate everything we do in this world. So if I don't feel like feeding my son for the next couple of days, do I just not feed him? Or if I, if I don't feel, I don't feel like being a married man the next week. So I move out for a week. How do you think Toya's going to respond when I come back, man? I mean, that would not be good. No, we know when we've committed, then our feelings have been put to the side. Not that they're not valid and they don't matter, but the commitment wins out. So let's go through a couple different types of feelings. And feelings that lead you towards sin. So when you feel like being angry or impure or lazy, how do, you, how do you deny those? You, are you still willing to deny yourself in that moment when you feel like going towards sin? How about feelings on the other side, right? Because a lot more often on the offensive, we have feelings that keep us from doing good. So when you don't feel like loving or standing up for someone, or you don't feel like wading into the awkward conversation to proclaim Christ, or you don't feel like being patient with your spouse or your roommates, in those moments, do you deny yourself? In fact, when I was doing this, preparing this lesson, Cam walked up to me and interrupted me. Can you believe my two-year-old son? <laughs> and I, I was like, wow, okay, I'm writing a lesson on denial. I have to deny myself <laughs> and really put the smile on my face and patiently love my son. But we all know these feelings. And is this hard? You know what? Yes, it is. But let me tell you something in closing. The greatest things in life are hard, but worth it. The greatest things in life are hard, but worth it. Think, think about it, right? My marriage, worth it, right? But man, staying married is hard. Raising a family, having a two-year-old son, worth it. But man, that's hard. Getting a degree, having a, a successful job, worth it. But it's hard. Why would we think the kingdom of God is any different? Yes, it is hard, and we're not going to water that down. But you know what? Why do we still do it even though it's hard? Because it's worth it. And living for the king and his kingdom is the greatest thing we could ever do with our lives. We were designed to live for the king and to change this world and make an eternal impact for him. It's worth it. And this is how Jesus closes in our verse in, in Luke 9. We'll, we'll read this and then have communion. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. You know, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Yes, denying ourselves and taking up our cross is worth it because we get Jesus and his kingdom. Let's pray together for communion. Oh, mighty Father, we are so grateful that we have a chance to be a part of your kingdom. And that you not only in Jesus have shown us the true power of self-sacrificial love, but you've also given us the opportunity to live that out and to join your revolution in this world. God, I pray that we can't evaluate our commitment to denying ourselves and taking up our cross, following you and living out sacrificially in this world. But God, above all else, I pray when we remember the grace of Jesus Christ, as he died on the cross, that it's always worth it. And no matter how hard it is, 
no matter how hard Jesus' radical teachings seem, that they are always worth it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.